Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Good to see you here. Glad that you have weathered the warmness. I was talking with some of you. It's amazing that in a few short months we may be complaining about how cold it is. So let's treasure this. We'll box all this heat up, all right, and we'll we'll keep it with us, and then we'll remember in a few short months uh, about hey, remember back when it was so hot at the end of July, and uh, I I call it first world issues, right? We have first world issues. These are not the. We are privileged. We are blessed. And I hope that you don't lose sight of that, um, that we wouldn't be um, people who grumble. We read of the Israelites in the Old Testament, and it seemed like every time God provided something for them, that there was uh, some kind of grumbling that, that we read about. And, and so for me, the challenge has been, okay, how am I going to live life without making sure that I'm grumbling about things that, in view of eternity, does it, does it really matter? Um, so we're a, little, we're a little sweaty. We're a little inconvenient. Um, the other day, Zach and I were working on breaks, and I think I went through five T-shirts. It was so, I, I just kept getting, it, I know it's gross, but, but it was hot. And so it's like, how do you work through that without, without letting your mind and your heart go, go negative and go, uh, you know, where you're, where you're grumbling and where your heart, you just start to get that hardness. And so uh, we worked really hard on not allowing our hearts to do that. And so uh, I, I'm, if you don't know, I'm Pastor Aaron, senior pastor here at West Hill. We're really glad that you're here if you're visiting with us. Uh, today um, is a joy to worship with you. And uh, thank you, Mike and Lisa, Brent and Charity for leading us in worship as uh, Andrew and Susan are are down at the beach and enjoying that time. Pastor David, our associate pastor, and his wife Emily are uh, in Boston enjoying time uh, there with Emily's parents and uh, her family. So Pastor Ed and Gail are up there as well. Pastor David and Emily will be back next week, and uh, and so uh, you, you have to put up with me today. This is it. So uh, Mike, thank you for leading us. Appreciate that, and Brent and, and Charity um, and Lisa stepping in there. So. Um, we're going to continue our series in the book of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open uh, with me to the book of Jonah. Um, the words will not be up on the screen. Um, so you'll have to open up your Bible today. All right. So if you don't have a Bible, it's, there's one there in front of you. Uh, look in the Old Testament. Um, you look at the prophets, Hosea, uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and then you come to the book of Jonah. Uh, and then after Jonah is Micah. And then Nahum, Habakkuk, and then Zephaniah. So it gives you some parameters. I know Jonah's just kind of squeezed in there. Um, So four little short chapters. Last week we covered the first two verses of Jonah, chapter 1. Talked a little bit about uh, how the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Gave you some background on Jonah, who he was, and then also the view of Jonah as he would have seen uh, the Ninevites. And uh, being, in a way, a traitor. And um, there's two main books that I've been reading that have helped me through this. Tim Keller, it's called The Prodigal Prophet. And I would encourage you, if you want to pick up either one of these, uh, another is Anthony Carter. Uh, It's called Running from Mercy. 
And uh, it's interesting that um, the, these books have helped me as I just kind of think outside of the box. And uh, Keller kind of puts it in, in a really good way when you think about um, what he was called to do. He says this, God describes Nineveh both here and later as a great city, as indeed it was. It was both a military and a cultural powerhouse. And uh, why would the populace listen to someone like Jonah? How long, for example, would a Jewish rabbi have lasted in 1941 if he had stood on the streets of Berlin and called on Nazi Germany to repent? At the most practical level, the prospects of success were none, and the chances of death were high. And so when we look at that, these first two verses, as we looked at that last week, it helps put in perspective, okay, this wasn't just a prophet of God that was called to go tell somebody a message from God. This was the only prophet of the Old Testament that we see that physically God calls in a physical way to go to a Gentile nations. So Amos was called to, to, to share through vocal, through words, um, but but Jonah is called physically to go to the Gentile city. And so in this uh, uniqueness of God's call in Jonah's life, we see from the very beginning. Verse 1 is normal. The word of the Lord came to him. Verse 2 is abnormal when you see that he is called to go to Nineveh, to arise and go to Nineveh. Let's read verses 3 through 16. I don't know if we'll get all the way through uh, verse 16 today, but we'll at least read through it, and then we'll walk through it and uh, try to digest what God would have for us to learn today. I'll actually just start in verse 1 so that we can be reviewed. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, and said, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go to them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea and to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then to me, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then the Lord said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. 
Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thanks for the opportunity to be here in this place, in your house. And Lord, thank you for um, these great people that we can worship together. And as we've joined together, um, Lord, help our hearts to be open and attentive to what you'd have to tell us today. And uh, Lord... There's so, so many great um, lessons that we can take from, from this book and from your word as a whole. And I just pray that your spirit would speak to us and that we would hear you and that we would, we would be changed so that when we leave here today, we would be different than, than how we've entered. Not just a, a better feeling, not just a knowing more, but Lord, that our soul, the core of who we are, would be different because we've heard from our God. And so, Lord, we thank you for still speaking to us today, and we pray that your spirit would have the freedom and, and that we would allow you the inner places of our heart so that we may hear from you. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 3, we see um, the first word there, but. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. And so here's the word of the Lord has come to Jonah. Jonah has uh, been serving God and serving the king there uh, of Israel. And now God has come and told him to move, to go and to tell these people uh, to repent. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against us, for its evil has come to me. We see that God has compassion. He has compassion not only for his people, the nation of Israel here, but we see that God actually has compassion for those who, who are in the other parts of the world too. Um, it was a great privilege for Lisa and I. We were able to go to Baltimore this week, and uh, we drove out with Jen on Sunday, last Sunday, and, and uh, got to be there as Jen was commissioned uh, to be an ABWE missionary, and uh, so she's officially an ABWE missionary, and uh, we're proud of her. And God is calling Jen to go to uh, Portugal and to another part of the world, out of her comfort zone, out of where she's at. God has called her and Morgan to go and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. God called uh, Jonah to go and to share. And God may not call you to get up and out of your place of where you're at and living here, but God does call you from where you sit every day to go and to live and to share the gospel. And that doesn't matter what the people look like. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done, their backgrounds. I think as, as born-again followers of Jesus Christ, I think, I'll just talk about myself, I can be very judgmental. I come to my own conclusions about the people that I see and whether or not they're worth investing or sharing the gospel in or not. And I think we need to listen to the Spirit, and as the Spirit speaks to us, we need to go and we need to live our lives and we need to let our light shine. Jonah, as he hears the word of the Lord, thinks of this great traitor city, and he says, no. He says, I'm not going to go. 
And so it says, uh, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. One of the things that we read throughout scripture is uh, that God is omnipresent, meaning God is, can see all. Uh, and so as we, as we live our lives, one of the unique things that I really got out of this section was that in my sin and when I try to walk away from God and avoid what God wants for me, I'm trying to avoid his presence, okay? I, I want to get away from him. And one of the things uh, that stuck out to me is uh, when, we're, when we're trying to abandon um, God's call for us, when we're walking in disobedience, the last person we want to see is who? Who's the last person we want to see or hear from? It's God. And so it's interesting as, as we read this account, and I believe that Jonah wrote this, um, that, that as he writes it, he tells us that he is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. What do we read, though, in the Psalms? In Psalm 139, Psalm 139 tells us that David, as he's writing about the, the bigness and the awesomeness of God and, and, and the, the making of who he was as a human and as an individual, David says, if you go to the highest heights, God is there. If you go to the lowest depths, God is still there. And, and so in the very, very idea of fleeing from the presence of God, it's kind of like as a child when you're playing hide-and-go-seek and, and if you threw the covers over your head, you knew that they couldn't see you, right? Even though there was a big bulge in, in the middle of the room, if you had that cover on, it was like you were invincible. And it's almost like that we live life like that sometimes, that, that in the midst of our lives, in the midst of, of trying to, uh, at times when God tells us to do something, we walk disobediently, we think, oh, I'm just going to go hide over here and God won't be able to see me. That's not true. God, God aren't you thankful that you have a God that sees all? He knows it all. And so while we are trying to flee to Tarshish, God's still there. He still sees us. Uh, as we read on, it says, uh, he fled, he went to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. Interesting to think about how uh, costly it is to disobey God. All right, just a thought. Um, there he went down into it, into the ship to go with them to Tarshish, and again we see this phrase away from the presence of the Lord. I, I believe in eternal security. All right, I believe that once you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are always His child, and it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't give us a license to live our lives however we want. But the grace of God is sufficient to cover all of my sin. The penalty that Jesus paid, it wasn't like, well, okay, I asked for forgiveness of my sin on this day, and, and God's uh, gift of Jesus Christ and his penalty was sufficient for that. But then down the road, you know, I committed this other sin, and all of a sudden, uh, I don't know if it, uh, is it, is it covered or not? No, Jesus, his death on the cross takes away the full wrath of God upon my life. 
And when I trust Jesus and I forgive, I ask for the forgiveness of my sin, it's the forgiveness of all my past and my present and my future. Knowing that, that while I choose, I'm choosing the gift of eternal life, that I am set free from that bondage of sin that's enchained us, that I still am rebellious. The heart, my heart is not perfect. It's not pure. And yet that process called sanctification, that, that process of becoming more like Jesus, I want to become more like Jesus because I know that's what his desire and what the best is for me. But that process is long and it's hard. And on this side of heaven, I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to fail. And so when we look at, at what Jonah is experiencing, the, prom, the, 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 the thought, the the prompting that he could flee from the presence of God, that we think for a moment in our lives that, okay, I just don't want to do what you're telling me to do, God, so I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do my thing. Uh, I think sometimes in our lives, as we walk through life, we want to do what we want to do. And ultimately, when we look and we examine our lives, we, th- we have to decide, we have to decide in our own minds, in our hearts, does God really have my best in mind? Does God really want what's best? That's a question you've got to ponder and you've got to ask in your heart. Do you believe that God wants the best for you. Now we just got done studying the book of James, understanding that there are trials that come into our lives that God either allows or he brings so that we may grow in our faith and understanding of who God is and that we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance, endurance hope, and hope perfection, to become more like his son Jesus. You have to decide as we live each day, is Jesus enough and does he know what's best? Jonah says this is not what's best and that's why he runs away. All right, That's why he flees and that's why he thinks that he can run from the presence of God. When we seek to disobey Um, It can be either A, um, because we just want to disobey and we don't care about living righteously. But there's another perspective, too, that that says uh, from a righteous standpoint that that I don't need to do that. And so um, uh, Keller in his book says this. He says, first, Paul, because he's talking about Romans 1 through 3, as Jonah runs away from God, um, but if we for a moment stand back and look at the entirety of the book, Jonah will teach us that there are two different strategies for trying to escape God. And Paul outlines these in Romans 1, th- 1, and th- 1 through 3. Paul speaks to those who simply reject God overtly and, quote, have become filled with every kind of wickedness, wickedness evil, greed, and depravity. That's Romans 1.29. In chapter 2, however, he talks of those who seek to follow the Bible. You rely on the law and you boast in God. You know his will and you approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, Romans 2, 17 through 18. 
Then after looking at both pagan and immoral Gentiles and Bible-believing moral Jews, he concludes in a remarkable, remarkable summation that there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away, Romans 3, 10 through 12. One group is trying diligently to follow God's law, and another group ignores it. And yet Paul says both have turned away. They are both, in different ways, running from God. We all know that we can run from God by becoming immoral or irreligious. But Paul is saying it is also possible to avoid God by becoming very religious and very moral. I'm not saying that we shouldn't seek after God and morality. I'm not saying that we shouldn't look at the process of sanctification to become more like our Savior Jesus. But sometimes in the midst of our journey and our walk, we will fall in one of these two sides. We may not be outwardly stubborn and rebellious to be irreligious and just run from God. We may in our hearts become very darkened and very cold, very bitter, and we may become extra religious. Let me tell you, the God of the Bible that I read about is not about religion. It is about a relationship. And when we start making it about a list of rules and regulations that we need to keep, ultimately it becomes something that gets in the way of our relationship with God. And so the very thing that God did was he brought his son Jesus, he sent his son Jesus to give us that relationship. And yet what we do is what we read in the New Testament of the Pharisees and the scribes that were so religious and so knowledgeable of the Old Testament, of the Jewish law. They wanted to do life right, but their rules and their laws got in the way of their relationship with God. And so let me encourage you, you may not be outwardly stubborn and, 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 and rebelling against God and, and his word, but maybe you've placed his word above the relationship that he desires to have with you. You can be so set on the word that you lose sight that it is a relationship. Do you get it? Thank you for the, you three who nodded your head. When we think about um, disobedience, Keller says this, and, and if we think about um, Jonah's disobedience, and we're going to look in this passage here a little bit what happens, but Keller writes this. The results of Jonah's disobedience are immediate and they're dramatic. There's a mighty storm directed right at Jonah. Its suddenness and fury are something even the pagan sailors can discern as being of superior nature origin. This is not the norm. The results of sin are often more like the physical response you have to a debilitating dose of radiation. You don't suddenly feel the pain the moment you're exposed. It isn't like a bullet or a sword tearing into you. In fact, you feel quite normal. Only later do you experience symptoms, and by then, it's too late. And then Keller writes this, and has stuck with me for months since I, since I read it. Sin is a suicidal action of the will upon itself. 
Sin is a suicidal action of the will upon itself. You ever look at your sin that way? When I, when I read that, it just struck me. He goes on to say, sin always hardens the conscious. It locks you in the prison of your own defensiveness, rationalizations, and it eats you up slowly from the inside. All sin has a mighty storm attached to it. Let's continue, and then I'll give the challenge individually, personally here. Verse 4, Jonah has, it says verse 3, that but Jonah. Verse 4 is an, a contrast to that, where we see now, but the Lord. So Jonah takes an action, but God's on top of it. All right? So Jonah thinks he can run away. Uh-uh. God's right there. So here's the Lord. The, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Uh, the Lord, this, this phrase of hurled is what we see. It's the same term that we see of Saul when he uh, has David playing the harp. Saul takes his spear and he hurls it to try to strike and to kill David. It is a, 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 a just and fast action. So here the Lord shows us his, that he is all-powerful, right? His omnipotence, that he is all-powerful and he can control all. And so here the Lord hurled a great wind. And then verse 5, it says, Then the mariners were afraid, and they each cried out to his own God. These aren't guys who haven't. Like, like me, who go out on a boat once a year and who think that they could do it. All right, these guys, this is their living. They know how the sea works and they know how to control their boat. And it's at the point where this is something abnormal. This is not a normal storm that just has arisen. There's something different here. And they become greatly afraid. One of the interesting things that I think about when I read through this is the reminder that our sin, my sin, doesn't just affect me. It has a great effect on other people. And so if you're sitting here today thinking that your sin doesn't affect anybody else, you're wrong. Your sin, your sin will affect not only you, but those around you as well. So they started crying out to his own God and these mariners, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the boat. So it was bouncing more than it was going in to the, the waves and the water. Um, but notice what's next. But Jonah. Again, the contrast here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. But Jonah fled. But the Lord hurled a great. But Jonah so here we are. Now Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and laying down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and he said to him, what do you mean? What are you doing? You're sleeping? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. Um, 
It's interesting when we think about our sin and our rebellion. Jonah's rebellion is not rooted in ignorance. His rebellion is rooted in rank disobedience. Um, It's not necessarily where Tarshish is in our lives. It's what it represents. Tarshish represents rebellion. But then again, to think that we are never out of God's sight is scary, but it should give us comfort too. God, Jonah thought Tarshish would save him from God. This is from Anthony Carter. The wonderful truth is that God saved Jonah from Tarshish, and he always does. I'm sure that there were people in Tarshish who needed to hear the word of the Lord, but that is not where God sent Jonah to do. And how often do we do that in our sin? We rationalize our disobedience and our rebellion by thinking that we can make something good come of it. Jonah thought to himself, I'll just go down to Tarshish, God. You'll send somebody else to Nineveh. I'll I'll preach in Tarshish. Well, they need to hear the word of the Lord too. Yet we need to be reminded that partial obedience is always disobedience. Jonah was fleeing from the presence of God. It wasn't just that Jonah didn't want to do what God called him to do. Jonah didn't want anything to do with God himself. And that's really the issue whenever we rebel. We rebel against God's word, but not only his word, we rebel against God himself. What's awesome is usually when we run from God, we run smack into him. Keller talks about sleep. We see here that Jonah is sleeping, and it reminds me of a time that I got to go um, with one of our um, police uh, sergeants in the Akron Police Department. And so I went undercover with him on one night. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. Um, I got to stake out in a car and we high-speed chase, and we got the bad guys, and it was really cool. Um, I'm not going to go into all that. My point is this. When, when we went back to the station, and they had these two guys in, in their, their, their rooms, and they had video on them, all right? And so I got to listen to the interrogations and all the questions and stuff. The two guys uh, were very different in their mannerisms, one was, was alert, and this was probably about 1.30, no, 2, two at night, um, 2 in the morning, 2 a.m. And uh, so one was alert, awake, kind of fidgety, um, and the other put his head down on the desk, and he was asleep. And so as, as the sergeant was talking to me, he said, oh, do you see the difference between the two? I said, yeah, and he said, That one there, we call that guilty sleep. He don't have anything to worry about. He's not worried about anything because he knows in his heart there's nothing else that he can do. He's guilty. This guy over here, he's worried, he's concerned. What did I do? And I thought about that when we look at Jonah. All right? Jonah is running from the presence of the almighty God the God that he was representing to Israel, he knows about his power. He knows about his presence. It's not like this is a newfound faith that Jonah just found. He knew God. 
He had heard from God, and yet he goes in the midst of this great storm. Where is Jonah to be found? In the belly of this ship, sleeping. Notice the contrast of the pagans, of those who were non-God-seeking. They're running around frantic. There's a contrast, as we see here throughout this book, of how God works through Jonah and Jonah's responses versus those who are not Israel or those who are Gentile nations who have not sought after God. And so we see that contrast, and it comes head-to-head here with Jonah and with the men who are on the ship. First, we see the captain. The captain comes and approaches him and says, what are you doing? What do you mean that you are doing? We're throwing stuff off this ship and you're down here sleeping. We're crying out to our gods. Would you please get up and call to your God? Because maybe he'll tell us something. It wasn't that these men were not uh, religious or didn't believe that there was a God. We see that they, they, didn't, they didn't believe in the true and living God, the God who made the heavens and the earth. And so as Jonah, who knows and has experienced a relationship with the true and living God, is slumbering because he's running from the presence of God, is in sharp contrast that to this captain who comes and pleads and begs them, will you not please ask your God to give thought to us so that we may live? When we disobey God, there is such a point that we can stray and walk away that we don't even care if we live. I, I hope you're not there. I hope that you know that your life is valuable and that God loves you and he wants to use you. These, these pagan sailors, they, they were fearful because they were going to die. And Jonah didn't care if he died. We're going to see later in the book, he cares more for a plant than he does his own life. But that's getting ahead of the story. Verse 7. It's only 11.05. I'm doing great. I expected to look up and be like 11.35. I won't go much longer. Verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose count this evil has come. To us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Again, don't you believe in the, the supremacy of God? I mean, God, God's not going to let you hide. He's going to use whatever manners that need to be happened. It's amazing to me that sometimes in our Christian uh, world and our Christian thinking, oh, God's only going to work in this way, or God's going to work in this way, and the way we're comfortable and the way that we're used to in our Christian thought well, God's using here, and this is not uncommon in the Old Testament, but the casting of lots. All right, we see even in the New Testament when they uh, put up a vote, but they cast lots for who was going to take Judas's spot. And so here God is working, and in the midst that lot falls on Jonah. And so now there's a conversation that they have with them. Tell us on whose account, verse 8, this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? 
Now, three of those are pretty similar, but they want to get to the heart of the issue. Like, what is going on in your life that we need to know about? And so he says to them, verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And Jonah tells them probably a little bit more because we read in, in the end of this next verse that he told them about how he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But we see the men's reaction. These uh, pagan sailors, as they hear that Jonah is a Hebrew and that he believes in the God of creation, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry ground, they don't rejoice. What are they, what, what's the response there? They are afraid. They were exceedingly afraid. Here's Jonah, who lacks in a belief that God can use him to change a city that is wicked. Nineveh is greatly wicked. Jonah lacks the faith to be obedient to God and to go preach the word. Here, in contrast, we see these pagan sailors who upon the, the, the hearing that Jonah's God was the creator of the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, become overwhelmed with fear. There's a respect, there's, a, there's like, whoa, there, there is a true God out there. And we see by the very end of this section of verse 16, they're worshiping God. They see that he is the true God. And they make vows to follow him. And where is Jonah? Well, I'm a Hebrew and I serve the Lord of the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I'm running from God. I, I wondered if he told them where God had told him to go or not. They were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you have done? I think God sometimes uses our world outside of the church to call us to attention and to call us on the carpet. And I think we need to allow them to do that at times. When we're disobedient to God, the world looks at us and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're, if you're running from God today, and let me give this disclaimer. I did not follow any of you this week. I did not have video cameras set up, all right? I was probably with my wife the most. Jen, I was with her out of Baltimore. So those of the rest of you, I, 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 I don't have some magnifying binoculars that I can spy on you. If you're running from God, though, you know that God has called into your life, that he is talking to you, and you are choosing to disobey. You need to stop and you need to listen to him. And you need to repent because there is a world outside that's watching us. And I think sometimes they look at us and they ask that question. What are you doing? So the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because Jonah told him. 
So they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, this is Jonah's solution. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So Jonah's solution is just throw me overboard, let me die. It's because of me that this has come upon you. I I think there's a little bit of remorse here that now he's realized that his sin has now included others. Again, contrast that to the mariner's response. Nevertheless, verse 13, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So what was their response? We're not throwing you overboard. Not on our hands. We see it later on. Their solution was not to kill this guy because they, I believe they had such a great fear that this God, that Jonah's God was so powerful and so mighty there, they didn't want Jonah's blood on their hands. And so their solution was, let's get down. We're going to row even harder. Let's go. we got to fix this. And of course, God wasn't done with Jonah, all right? So it wasn't going to be that easy. And so they come to realize they can't outrun this storm. And so therefore, verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, God, we're, we're, we're not guilty here. We're not trying to run from you. But we, we, don't want this guy, we don't want this guy's life on our hands. Like, he told us to throw him overboard. We don't know what else to do. So we're crying out to you, God. Lord, have done as it please you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Can you imagine being that sailor that stood there on the side of that boat after you threw Jonah in? And the seas go calm. The amount of shock and wonder as they first experience throwing over a man purposefully into the sea. But second, as they saw the work of the God of creation. And that's why I believe in the next verse it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. So the great fear that they had when they heard from Jonah about who his God was turned into a fear of worship. of yielding their hearts and their lives to him. And so they offered a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Their lives were changed forever. A couple of things as we close and as we finish, isn't it awesome that God can take our mistakes and still work in great ways? Only our God can do that. He can take our big mistakes and our big mess-ups 
and do something great with it. And that shouldn't make us to think as we're in the midst of rebelling against God, oh, God will make it good. No, that cheapens grace. That cheapens his mercy. Don't do that. God God paid a huge price when he sent his son Jesus. Jesus gave his life so that we can experience a relationship with him. So don't cheapen that gift. So if you're rebelling against God, turn back to him today. When the sailors and the captain called Jonah back out of the belly, the captain says, arise. It's the same term that God calls to Jonah earlier in the book. Arise, call. It's the same thing. When we walk our lives, God's message doesn't change. It's always the same. It's to pursue him. It's to walk with him. God sent his prophet to point pagans towards himself. Yet now it's the pagans pointing the prophet towards God. Humbling. So what's this look like in your life? What's your takeaway today? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you being obedient to him, to his word? Are you, are you experiencing that friendship and that relationship with him? Or maybe in rebellion, as I have done in the past, you say, I don't want to read this. I don't want to hear from God. God, I don't, I don't know if you're that good. I don't know if you have my best in mind. I don't want to do what you've asked me to do. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I want to live my life the way I think I should. Or, God, it's not fair. Let me encourage you. There's a saying that sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. To be in the word does not necessarily mean you have a close relationship with God, though. And so as you study the word, Understand that it comes from a God who desires desperately to walk with you. So don't just read it. Don't study it like it's a text or a manual. But that it's a love letter from the God of the creation and the universe who desires desperately to walk with you and me every single day. He loves you, and he loves me. And often it's our pride and our arrogance. It's the thinking that I know what's best or I want to do what I want to do that gets in the way of that relationship. So if that's you, repent today. Repent means to turn from, to do a 180 I'm headed in this direction. I realize I'm wrong and I need to go back here. Don't play games with God. We see he is always there watching over us. We can't run from him. 
and we see he is all-powerful, that nothing is out of his framework to be able to use to draw us back to him. Don't go too long running from him. If you know what you need to do, do it. Be obedient to the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your spirit. Thank you that we can walk with you and that we can talk with you, we can listen. Thank you for being merciful and kind to us that even when we do fail and even when we do make mistakes, that, uh, that while there are great storms attached to our sin, Lord, you can calm the storm and you can bring comforting news. Lord, you did that to those sailors. As they threw Jonah overboard, you showed yourself to be the true and living God. Lord, I pray that for us in our lives as we live life walking with you, that we would do that very thing, that we would be sensitive to your spirit's leading as we're in your word, seeking to do what you've called us to do, not because it's rules and regulations, but because it's what you desire for us to experience the fullness of your grace and your mercy and your love. Lord, may we be obedient to that, knowing that you know what's best for us. That often, Lord, we, we can't see, we don't have the right prescription on. And so, Lord, we need your spirit to guide us and to direct us. And as we hear what you're telling us, Lord, I pray that we would, that we would abandon our sin. Because the thought that my sin is a suicidal attack upon my will is powerful, Lord. That's what it is. It's rebellion against you. We are imperfect people seeking to work, worship and to honor a perfect God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to live that this week in our relationships, in the people that we're around, at our home, at businesses, at work, our friends, our family, strangers, Christians, non-Christians, Help us to reflect who you really are. We love you. Help us to seek you, Lord, and to know that you may be found. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.